Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. I started to relearn the violin a couple of years ago. Now, to be honest, I hadn't picked up a violin in over three decades, but I was determined to return to an old love. So I, I started to play again. Play is a really generous term for what happens when I drag the bow across the strings. I've been taking lessons now for about three years, and, and it still kind of sounds like I'm killing kittens every time I play anything. I'm an amateur at it with a lot to learn, but there is one thing I do know about playing music with absolute certainty. There's a little rest, a little symbol that appears at the start of every practice rep, and it's essential. It's not been thrown in there as an afterthought. It's not a publishing error. Practice reps for violin always have to start with a rest because it helps a violinist get her bow in place and get her fingers on the correct string so that she can actually play well. And without the rest, the song gets started in a rush. The timing gets off. The song isn't nearly as smooth as it needs to be, and it kind of sounds more like a mess than a melody. I think there are some wise life lessons in all of that for us. Rest is necessary, friends. Funny enough, that's what God has been telling us since the very beginning. In preparation, as we wind down our conversation of Huga, by looking at the very last tenet of rest, I knew I couldn't do it without a woman whose work I've admired for years and who's written plenty on this idea of rest and slow living. Jennifer Dukes Lee is a former journalist turned farmer's wife, and in her free time, and I do use heavy air quotes for that, she writes books about slow and steady life, the slow and steady life of faith. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm really glad you're here, ready to unpack rest with us. Well, I am too, and I feel like I already got the gift of hearing that opening story. Like, even as you tell it, you have pauses so that we could take it in, um, like at each period, each specific break. And I just feel even more peaceful listening to you talk than I did when I even got on here. So thank you for that. Yeah. Even in when we talk, we rest. Even when we inhale and exhale, our bodies just naturally rest. And I think that's so God designed that everything about our creation really declares the rhythm, the natural rhythm of work and rest. Well, to start us off, I want you to just tell us a little bit more about you and maybe your rest in progress life. <laughs> sure. I, I laugh because <laughs> I think sometimes when people hear what I have on my plate, they think she doesn't have any time for rest. But the reason that I'm able to accomplish a lot of really neat things with my life is because rest is a priority. So I just want to set the stage for that right away because I am a busy mom of two 
and I am a farm wife. We have 700 acres of soybeans and we have about a thousand pigs at any given time on our Iowa farm. I'm very involved in my community and uh, vocationally, I am a book author and a Bible study teacher. I enjoy speaking nationally to women's groups. And in addition to that, I am a, an acquisitions editor for Baker Publishing Group. So I acquire books that help advance the gospel um, to the body of Christ. And that I, I take great joy, joy in doing that work. But foundationally, the only way that I can do all of those things is that rest is a priority, not just once a, you know, once a week, but really it's built into the rhythms of my day-to-day life. And it didn't come naturally to me, quite honestly, because my default has been hurry. My default has been just keep pushing, put the hand to the plow and don't stop. There was, you know, this idea that there was never, you know, there was always work to be done. There was you can, can couldn't stop for a rest until the work was done. But the problem is for any of us, the work is never done. So you have to figure out, I had to figure out how to indeed make rest a priority, um, not only for my health, but for all those things, for all those things that I love to do, to be a mother, to be a farm wife, to be an author, a speaker, and an editor. It was vital. I think in this day and age where we're just all like serial finishers and we just keep spinning all kinds of plates, it sometimes feels like hurry and rush is just stamped into our DNA. And really, it's quite the opposite. And you shared with us all these many plates that you're spinning. And and honestly, it kind of gives me a little whiplash just thinking about it. But I know and have seen you live, walk out the life of rest. And, you know, I see the fruit of that in your own life. And so we're going to get back to some of those plates in just a minute. But I want to I want to start out by looking first and starting our discussion with a verse from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And I think that'll really set our gaze on the right priorities when we're talking about rest. And it reads, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What do those verses mean to you, Jennifer? What is behind this Matthew idea of rest? I love this image of a yoke um, in those verses, and as a farm wife, I think of that in particular, how a yoke was spread across beasts of burden to carry the weight together so that it was just easier with two animals than than it would be with one to pull something along. And it's interesting to me that with Jesus, the yoke is easy. And it wasn't easy for him. It cost him everything. And because of him bearing the weight of the burden, whatever that burden would be in our life, the yoke really is easy for us. And the word easy 
feels like a hard word to hear when we consider the many things on our plates and on our calendars, the idea that we can somehow wear an easy yoke seems practically impossible. And I know that we're going to be able to unpack ways that we can practically put on the easy yoke. But first, just philosophically, having a mindset shift is necessary for many of us to see that this is a promise that Jesus offers us in the scriptures. And it is one that was not cheaply spoken, but indeed bought at great price. And I love how in the message paraphrase of those verses, I hope I get these words right, that Eugene Peterson calls it the unforced rhythms of grace. So that when we put on this yoke, it's not forced, it's unforced, that there is indeed a rhythm to rest and that it's out of grace, God's grace and and goodness. So that's immediately what comes to mind when you share those verses. And that promise of Matthew doesn't necessarily mean that we will not face busy schedules or um, untidy (laughs) days, but just that he will be there in the yoke carrying the burden for us. It doesn't exclude hardship from our days. It just means he's willing to take on the burden. How can our rest point to Jesus, the the bearer of the yoke? Um, What really is the gospel aim of rest? Rest is, it serves so many different purposes. Um, You know, certainly our bodies require physical rest um, in the form of sleep, in the form of just taking breaks from our work and our labors, sitting down for a meal, resting with friends and community. Um, those are all things that our physical bodies need and that our emotional bodies need. We were made that way. God created us into these rhythms where we go through periods of lengthy sleep and we wake up and maybe, you know, by two o'clock in the afternoon, we're feeling a little bit tired. And to even listen to that, that, that little nudge within us that says, you just need to take maybe a 15 minute nap. And so there is like, there are these natural rhythms that our bodies are, are sending signals and cues to rest. And I think that we have a sort of superhuman approach to how can we get more things done? And I only need four hours of sleep at night. And I can't imagine ever taking a nap or those kinds of things. We sort of shame ourselves into just pushing through. But God created us with these bodies that require physical rest. And then, of course, there's emotional rest. Uh, I recently went through, um, and I'm still very much in the middle of grieving my father's recent passing. And there were moments where I would need to step away from um, the grief of being with my father as he was passing away and just step outside under a blue sky and walk and co-regulate with one of my sisters and co-regulate with Jesus to give myself emotional rest from the difficulty of my father passing. And so there's emotional rest that we need um, in any kind of traumatic or or difficult situation. Um, 
And that we're also created in that way to kind of go off and Jesus would take time away and in isolation to be with his father. And that's part of emotional rest. And then certainly, of course, it's part of our spiritual rest. And there are many ways that we can spiritually rest, even when we're busy, that we can keep ourselves grounded in God's purposes for us. Um, that we are doing, you know, kingdom work, even when it's hard, even when maybe we have little kids at our feet and uh, meals to make or uh, bills to pay, um, oils, to oil to change, tanks to fill. I mean, there's just so many things that keep us constantly busy. But those moments of spiritual rest each and every day, multiple times a day, and of course, I believe in at least one solid day of Sabbath rest to fuel all of the other parts of our spiritual need throughout a week. So I think, again, it's really important to summarize again, to make time for physical rest for your bodies, to value and honor and treat your body with dignity, to take time for emotional and mental rest from the difficulties in your life and to find co-regulators to uh, help you through. And, um, and then finally, and and uh, perhaps most importantly of all is to make space for spiritual rest. And thank you so much for sharing that about your your father's passing. I'm so very sorry to hear about that, but it's encouraging to hear you um, encourage others in that, you know, you recognize times in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your hard thing, that you had to step away and take a breath and reorient your mind, maybe perhaps for a short little season on something else. Otherwise, when we just power through, whether physically or emotionally, what we actually um, end up making is a lot of drag in our life, both physical drag and emotional drag, and everything just sort of spirals from there. Can you give me some examples of how rest has played out in your own life? Maybe share some of the fallout for not resting well um, when you could have or should have. And how have you seen God grow good things in your time of rest? There was a time uh, a few uh, years before I wrote the book, Growing Slow, and I was in a functional medicine doctor. It's kind of a doctor that looks at your whole well-being. And I was in there with so many issues that other doctors just could not figure out. Well, well, there's just nothing wrong with you, Jennifer. There's just nothing wrong. And um, I was having gut issues that were undeniable. I was having sleep issues, aches and pains, um, low-level anxiety, and just this general feeling of being unwell. And while I was in the doctor's office, he said, well, in, in, a, in a way, the other doctors were correct. There's nothing that you can give a pill for that's going to make this all go away. This is really an inside job. Uh, you have hurry sickness. I think that you have a hurried heart. And I'm like, hurry sickness? I've never heard of such a thing. There is no such thing. And he mentioned the word stress and asked about my stress level. And I'm like... I am not stressed. I know stressed out people. I'm not one of them because I have always been a high capacity person, able to get a lot of things done and really not having to rest a whole lot, just keep pushing through. Um, but all of that compounded and ended up with all of these physical problems. I just forgot what it was to feel well. And it got to the point where it was affecting 
my physical life. And I went home and I Googled my second favorite doctor in the world, Dr. Google. And um, I put in the words hurry sickness. And sure enough, I ticked off all of these boxes. I had all of these symptoms and I knew that I had to make a big time shift in my life. But I looked at my life like many people who you tell to slow down. I mean, they're like, slow down what? Like I have all these things to do. There's nothing that I can, you know, take off my plate. And I really felt like that, but something had to change. And, um, through over a variety of days that became months, that became weeks, that became seasons, and now many years, I have adopted what I call a growing slow mindset that has vastly changed how I approach my days. And there are a lot of little things that I do every day to achieve this place of rest. And I want to get to some of those in just a minute, but I heard you say things like um, you, this was just your natural personality. You were a high capacity person. And I think so many of us, especially as Americans, we're kind of speed addicts. You know, we're always tapping our foot, waiting for the next thing. Whereas a Hugo Lee lifestyle would say, I'm going to be fully present in this moment right here, right now. Um, the Danes have um, have built in rhythms, not just to their day or their week, but also their year, their seasons of setting things aside and not feeling like they're letting someone down, not feeling like they're letting something go. They don't wear their busyness like a badge of honor. And I think that really as a believer, our insistence to wear our busyness, you know, on our shoulder for everybody to see is actually really a pride issue. And we can get into that later, but um, it's kind of propping ourselves up thinking we're more important than we actually are when we have to be the, the person who holds the whole thing up. And it's all just going to crumble if we don't just keep spinning all the plates. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent agreed. And it is such a cultural Western culture mindset that is super hard to break because it's been ingrained in us since we were really, really young. And honestly, even in the church, because if you think about it, um, when we're taught the creation story, um, you rest on the seventh day. So we're taught this, this idea that you work and work and work and work for six days. And then you have, you know, earned the right to rest on the seventh day. But interestingly, when we think about that story, man and woman were created on the sixth day, right? And so their first full day on earth was a day of rest. And I think if we begin to look at rest that way, it could be super helpful for us. That it's not this thing that comes after the work is done. It's not a reward for achievement. Instead, it's the thing that we do first. It is how God created us. It was God's seventh seventh day of rest for God, but for man and woman, it was their first full day on earth. That's such a mindset shift, you know? And if you think about it, like the Jewish day actually starts at sundown. You know, back in the Genesis account, it said there was evening and morning 
because the day started with the evening first. And that goes back to what I said at the very beginning. Like when you're playing a piece of music, you actually have to rest first to get everything in line before you can play a song well. And I think that there's definite truth in that for our own lives that we need to rest first to get to realign, to reorient everything in the in the way it should be. And it's actually kind of like a tithe of time. Like we give the first fruits of our life and our time to the Lord, um, and then he will multiply what is left as, as it's needed. I've heard you compare rest to the pause of winter where all the land is fallow and it's dormant. Can you just elaborate on that for a little bit for us? How has your experience as a farmer's wife given you just some special insight to this idea of rest? Yes, I have learned as much about rest looking out on these fields as I have in a church. Um, and it the way that God created crops to grow here where I live and just in general, the way he's worked through seasons, you can see how rest is built in. So in the spring, we plant millions of seeds into these fields. And come summer, we have these plants that we tend to in a variety of ways. And come fall, we have harvest, which is an extremely busy time. And we celebrate the goodness of what we've grown and we thank God for it. And then comes winter. One fourth of a growing season happens in winter when it looks like there is nothing happening, when it looks like everything is dead and dormant and there is nothing to do and our hands feel idle. But I look at that and I think if, if God intended for our ground to be at rest for one fourth of a year, what does that say? about us. And the thing is, I think that we can think, well, then that means that there is nothing productive. I mean, I don't want to take a quarter of my life and just feel like there's nothing good coming from it. But sometimes the most important things in a growing season are happening in winter, which I know it seems crazy to think of it that way, but there's all kinds of things happening underneath the earth that the human eye cannot see. Um, little animals moving around and microbes and all kinds of things that affect the health of the soil. And even the snow itself, um, around here they call it poor man's fertilizer because when the snow falls, it catches nitrogen on the way down and then that settles onto the fields and makes those fields more productive come spring. The same is true of us. These seasons of winter when it looks maybe to some onlooker like nothing is happening, there is really important, vital work ha happening underneath the surface of us. And to, to value and honor that and see that it produces something better in the next growing season. As um, I think Western culture, we are of the mindset that we want to be in a content, constant cycle of Plant, grow, harvest, plant, grow, harvest with no real break. But if the ground needs winter rest, I think that we do too. And I think it's good for us to remember in light of other believers that we see in our lives or even our own selves, you know, we are we are really quick to define growth or success in really visible ways. We want to put it on a chart 
we want to slap a number or a statistic on it. But in light of our spiritual lives, sometimes it's during those dormant seasons where it seems like no growth is happening, that God is really growing some deep roots in us that others may not see or we might not see in others, but some hit the hidden silent work of God is going on even when we cannot see it. And when we take away the rest or that dormant season, we really take away some of the the grounding, the moorings of our faith that we need, those strong roots. So what are some of the practices of rest or dare I even say it, some of the work of rest? Because I don't think rest as we see it in scripture is accidental. It doesn't just like happen to us. So what are some things that we can do for, especially for the person who would like to rest, but isn't quite sure what that should look like? What would you say to that person? I'm going to share a few things with you. And each one alone doesn't seem like much, but added all together, this is what makes the difference. And we know that's true in in scripture too, it's like all of these little things that make up a life of faith, all of these little ordinary things that Jesus was constantly pointing to, whether it was a cup or a loaf of bread or a fish or a mustard seed. So as I go through these, like that, that you who are listening, not even underestimate these tiny little things that you can do that do make such a difference. Uh, the very first one that I'm going to share is the first thing that I did after I came home from that diagnosis. I had noticed that my meal times, particularly breakfast and lunch, were hurried affairs. They were something that I did out of a sack while driving somewhere or at my desk while working. Or if I did go to the kitchen, I would eat something as quickly as possible while also checking Instagram or firing off an email. And it occurred to me that I was missing out on a a great gift that God gave us, which is food and enjoying food. And this is really the essence of the slow food movement that is a push against fast food production and fast food consumption. Now, I'm not saying that you have to create a gourmet meal starting at breakfast tomorrow morning. What I am saying is make your, you know, fry your egg, uh, put a little bit of yogurt on the side and cut up a strawberry and sit down, sit down with your hot tea and your hot, hot coffee and this meal and, and think about the, what went into its preparation. Think about not only your own preparation of it, but the, the growth of the strawberry or the production of eggs uh, the the way that yogurt is made. And then when you're eating it, like pay attention to the flavors and the textures that God gave us in order to nourish us. He could have so easily decided the way I'm going to fuel humans here is that they're going to pull up to a gas tank every few days and put the, you know, put it in their side and fuel up. Or here's the pill that you're going to take every day that will nourish your body so you can push through. No, instead he was so creative and gave us colors and flavors and textures. This small act that really literally does not have to be gourmet is just about sitting down with no other distraction other than the enjoyment of potentially the company with you. But quite often, you know, there are moments in our lives where we're all alone. You know, maybe if you're if you're a child, if you're a mom of children off at school or you're 
somebody whose kids have long gone from the home or you have no no children and it's a, lots of lonely or, or excuse me, alone times, um, I think these are moments when we might pick up a phone and try to make that be our companion with our mealtimes. But let's let our food and, and God be our companion and, and really embrace the concept of the slow food movement. Another thing that um, is really important in rest is refusing to multitask. Um, It'd be like right now if I were having this conversation with you and at the same time I had my email open and I was, you know, checking Facebook or, or doing a bunch of other things at the same time I'm talking to you, I would not be able to give you my best. Um, we think that multitasking is the answer because we think that we're going to be able to get a lot of things done and then we'll be able to rest. But what happens is that we can never, never fully engage in the tasks before us and we ended up, end up getting more behind than we would have in the first place. So we're doing our future restful selves a favor by unitasking instead of multitasking. And I think another one um, that I would mention that, that happens right away in the morning is setting your uh, alarm for just even five minutes earlier um, and waking up and deciding that I'm going, I am going to set my tone for the day. This is, this is how I want to be today. This is the kind of person I want to be. This is how I want to engage with God today. This, no matter what comes ahead, this is, this is how I want to be. And this is the kind of day I want to have. And it's really grounding for me because um, oftentimes before I started doing that, I would go into fight or flight mode immediately because I'm checking my phone and I already see these urgent requests. I see the things that I'm behind on. Uh, things that need to be done. And now my phone and my obligations are setting the tone for my day instead of me uh, actively participating in that from God with the start, at the start. And I would add to that, you know, it's this idea of paying your future self, paying it forward to your future self. You know, we know that the best day happens when it starts the night before. So any way that you can actually preemptively set the tone for your day the day before or the hour before um, so that you don't wake up in a rush and feel like five minutes behind your life all the time. So if you can set out certain things the night before, get things ready for your kids to go out the door to school, get things ready for you to enter into the work field, whatever it is, if you can be kind to your future self by just five minutes, it really helps us all to just kind of slow down, um, not fast walk through our lives. There are those um, listening, though, Jennifer, who will take this idea of, you know, a list that you've given them almost to a legalistic extreme. What would you say to the woman or the man who's listening who comes at rest with kind of a message of shame? Like Jennifer gave me the three-point alliterated outline of what I need to do. I better do it in order to rest. Right. So rest that is shame-based isn't really rest at all. Um, and I think that I was buying into that for a really long time. The whole, my whole thought process of rest is something that is earned. That is, if I do all of the right things on days one through six, then I, then I get to rest. And it is just automatically shame-based. And I have 
come to this point in my development as a rest mentor of really encouraging my own self and other people to um, just try it. Like, just decide, you know, decide I might disappoint somebody because I have always said yes to them. I'm like the queen of yeses or I'm the king of yeses. And so I don't want to disappoint people. You may well disappoint people when you start to change some of these things, when you start to listen to your body and, and treat your body with dignity and to treat your mind with honor and to uh, engage in practices that are um really going to, as you said, befriend or be kind to your future self. I almost got in a position where I really put myself into a dangerous dangerous situation with my health because I waited until I felt it physically in deep ways. And it took a long time to reverse the effects of what I had done to my body over time. So I used to hate it when people would tell me, Jennifer, you've got to slow down. And I would say to them, you have no idea what I have going on in my life. I, I, I can't slow down. I, I can't afford to slow down. And now on the other side of it, I'm just like, oh, Jennifer, you can't afford not to slow down. Time is such a gift. Time is not an enemy. You're treating time like it's something to be raced against and to squeezed into boxes. But each and every day is a gift. And when when I begin that way, I can begin to backfill my day with the things that treat time and each day as the gift that it is. And I, I mean, I did that so much with my dad. And and I I I know that. I have a wonderful boss who says, take the time you need. And I know not everybody is granted that, but I was given this blessing of my from my bosses in the company where I work to take the time that I needed to rest and to be present with my dad. And if even if they didn't allow it, I don't know that I could have stayed with that company, you know? I mean, that I, I do not regret. Um, having canceled a number of speaking engagements that were very, very important to me and would have done, um, would have been really good for me career wise and would have been great opportunities and so on and so forth. But during these past months, um, those quiet moments uh, beside my dad as he spent his last days on earth, I mean, it's just put so much into perspective for me. And um, sometimes those kind of moments have a way of helping us prioritize. Mm -hmm. And I think time is one of those, probably the only commodity that we have been given in life that we can't earn back or we can't buy back or work back. Once it's gone, once a moment is slips by, it's gone. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to end all my days with the regret of how I spent them. We often see a day of rest or even I mean, let's be honest, a, a morning of rest as just kind of a parentheses on our week. Like if it happens, it happens. Great. But if it doesn't, that's OK, too. What do you say to the person who thinks they have no time to rest? And 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 probably we all could be lumped into that camp. I know I've said that a time or 2000. But when we peel back the layers of those words, what are we really saying? What is our um, defiance or our lack of rest revealing about our lives and maybe even about the opinions that we hold of ourselves and of God? I 
think that we have been so self-reliant and in some ways disillusioned and confused because we are drawing our worth from achievement. And it is hard to break away from a system that we are so ingrained in. I understand deeply (laughs) because that was the way I rolled for a really long time. And I still have the temptation to go back and define my worth by uh, achievement. And that's what creates a hurried heart. I am not suggesting that anybody listening should necessarily quit their job or that they shouldn't be busy. I am a busy person, but I am not busy on the inside. I have, um, it's not about what's on the calendar. And I think that's what's so hard about adopting rest or a growing slow mindset is we think that it can be easily solved by um, crossing things off of a list, but it is having a contentedness and a peace with uh, things that are left undone, you know, knowing dad, I am here with you right now. Um, and there are things that are to be done waiting for me when I get home, but I trust that God is going to give me grace for today to be at your bedside. And he is also going to give me grace for the day when I return to work. And you know what? So far it's working out. (laughs) It just does. I mean, this, our days are held in God's hands And he is not basing our worth on how many things we crossed off the list. And I I get it. I get that things have to be done, but it's how we are dealing with it all on the inside that creates a, a restful spirit on the outside, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It absolutely does. And I think you said the very best word um, you mentioned the word trust, and I think that's really what it is. When we choose to rest, we're actually submitting ourselves in obedience to God's plan for us to rest and handing over our schedule to Him and saying, you know, look, God, you see all the many things that I have to accomplish, but I want to accomplish the things that are mine to do, that you have declared are mine to do, and not take on a lengthy list of things that are someone else's to do. Um, so I am submitting in trust to the the pattern that you've set for me of work and rest and just trusting that you in your economy your heavenly economy will work it out in the same way that we do that with our finances when we tithe i really and truly believe that rest is a tithe of time and we have to do it willingly you know we don't want to give our finances begrudgingly or, you know, with an angry, tight-fisted posture. And I would hope that we would not want to give our time to God with a tight fist, but that we would relinquish it freely. As we wrap up today, I want to return to an idea that we have continued to weave through each one of these episodes, and that is Uh, the core foundation of Huga that says the outward life will always affect the inward life. So Jennifer, I'm wondering, what is an outward something 
that you have enjoyed lately that has really helped you to reorient your inward life, whether that's something that has helped you rest or just something that um, has added abundance to your days? This is something that costs nothing but time. And it's something that most of us can do outside of those with a physical um, disability. Um, but it is taking a daily walk. I step outside every day, rain or shine, and I tip my face up to the sky and I acknowledge that I am small and he is great. And I take in the size of things and then I begin to walk. And I have put on miles and miles on these shoes of mine. Um, and it is so life-giving for me. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to podcasts or anything else. I'm just present with God and his created world. And it sets something right in me that feels um, restful. It feels rejuvenating. It feels very centering. And it reminds me of my small place in this great big world. And I have never come back to my work after one of those walks and thought, wow, I regret having done that. <laughs> um, I always feel really good about it. It makes me feel um, physically strong and it, it strengthens me spiritually. It strengthens me emotionally and mentally going back to those first points of rest that we talked about. And all of that makes me feel really uh, connected to myself. It feels makes me feel very connected to God. And it's just a practice that even if you're not able to physically walk, if there's some way that you can get yourself outside under a big sky every day and just take in his goodness and his immensity, knowing that he holds the whole world in his hands and that world includes you. It's like you stole a page right from the Hugo playbook, Jennifer, because that is, um, you know, one of the very top things that a Danish person would reply to that answer. They love getting outside in nature and walking, um, even amidst some really crazy weather. You know, it can get in the negative temps for much of the year in Denmark. And yet they have found ways to cocoon their bodies in order that they can go outside no matter what kind of weather they are faced with because they they recognize what a gift it is to their emotions to their bodies and even you know as a believer i can say to our spiritual lives when we can get outside and just take a couple of steps into nature that's a great answer well rest can often feel like a chore to people who think that the world will collapse if they stop turning it I know at times I'm guilty of being one of those people. But rest is not a suggestion, my friends. It is a command. It is the huga of the garden, the huga God knew we needed. The rest he promises, that, that rest that he provides, well, that fully restores. Like the land of Jennifer's Iowa farm, our lives have to lay dormant at times if we're ever to see a harvest. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on this very last episode of the Holy Huga podcast. Can you tell those listening how best they can find you and your ministry should they want to learn more? 
You can find me anywhere uh, on social media, such as Facebook or Instagram at Jennifer Dukes Lee. And then my website is jenniferdukeslee.com. And thank you so much for listening, friend. If you've stuck with me for these past eight episodes, I hope that you're beginning to build some restorative rituals, some huga into your days and into your home. The world longs for sanctuary. It looks to Huga because this Danish lifestyle promises things like hospitable living, deep relationships, the well-being of oneself and others, an inviting atmosphere, comfort, contentment, and of course, rest. But Huga can only help in the short term. I hope that if you take anything away from our time together, it's this. The abundant life can only be found in Christ. Huga isn't necessary, but it does kind of help. So I'll send you off today with a benediction found in Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.